Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn here on the third day of the county championship and it is freezing here in Wiltshire. Hello, it's Richard Heller here in an equally freezing south-east London where I wouldn't wish to be either playing or even watching cricket. Now, Richard, can you describe our amazing guest? Well, I would delighted to welcome Annie Chave this morning. Annie is the founder of County Cricket Matters. It's an organisation which um, defends and promotes the county structure of English cricket, particularly the county championship. And is also a regular contributor to Guerrilla Cricket, uh, which gives such a refreshing alternative coverage and analysis of cricket matches. And Annie, very much welcome to the podcast. Uh, we have got a very interesting first two days of the county championship, very early county championship to um, discuss a bit later on. But um, first of all, the, we're going to pay a bit of a personal tribute to the Duke of Edinburgh, who died uh, yesterday and who had such an astonishingly long and and warm relationship with the game of cricket. We're not just going to have a bit of a tribute, Richard. We're going to have a huge applause, round of applause. And here is one of the most magnificent men of the last century in British public life. He was up for 99. He deserved his century. He will have been mortified not to reach his century, but he will, the, the, the crowd is rising with applause at this glorious man who's meant so much to each and everybody who's listening to this programme. Not a bit of a, a tribute. I, I really think that in so many ways he's done wonders for this country, and one of them, as Annie knows, is cricket. Well, I do apologise for that. Um, I was attempting a bit of Lytotes, deliberate understatement, um, but it obviously, obviously didn't come yeah, off. That guy went missing on me, Richard. Yes, it, it, I'm afraid it might have been eluded the listeners. We are indeed going to pay tribute to an astonishing life devoted very, very strongly to cricket for a very long time. Now, Annie, you're a great celebrator of something we all adore and um, the county championship. And, of course, a Prince Philip... Right up to the very end, I believe, gave away at the end of every season the the, the, the trophy to the winner, didn't he? Yeah, what a what a what a man he was, hey! Um, I, I I gather he was uh, very very much in the MCC, wasn't he? Um, but uh, he always loved loved county cricket, and he loved cricket. Yeah, and he, as the sort of twelfth uh, man for the Taverners, he gave away that trophy, uh, and he it was a very kind of genuine. Uh, relationship. Sometimes you feel that he might have been going off to do things on, uh, from a sense of duty. He bowled out Tom Graveney at Arundel, didn't he, Richard? Well, he did. He was very, very proud of it. And he was even more proud of the fact that um, Tom Graveney was described ever afterwards as um, the Duke's rabbit, <laughs> um, <laughs> you, know, as his, you know, as his personal victim. And um, I, I'm, Prince Philip was a pretty handy off-spinner. He was converted from his original role as a fast bowler in his teenage years, and um, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if um, Tom Graveney preferred to avoid him ever afterwards in, you know, in celebrity matches and charity games. 
And uh, he, there's quite a lot of rather moving pictures of, of the Prince at cricket. And one of them is, he obviously loved the game because it's several people have given testimony, including Ken Clark of being uh, up at, uh, I think it was Trent Bridge, when uh, poor old Philip had to go off and do some ceremonial event and was furious at being pulled away from the cricket. And the same thing happened in Melbourne in 1977 when he had to go and do some damn fool presentation and he had to be taken away from watching Derek Randall playing that glorious innings. I mean, he loved his cricket. He certainly did. One detail from his very long cricket career um, struck me very strongly. He played his, first of all, the sheer length of it, he played as a teenage cricketer at Gordonston in the 1930s. Um, <laughs> yes. And he watched... <laughs> You know, isn't that astonishing, Annie? I mean, this is somebody who watched. This is some, and it's some, somebody who watched Hammond and Bradman in their prime in the 1930s. And Jack Hobbs. He would have seen the end of Jack Hobbs's career. You know, that's an astonishing span. It's so amazing, isn't it? To think there's some. There is, like Peter said, there's some beautiful photos. Of, there's a wonderful one before he um, was married to the Queen, sitting, both of them sitting watching cricket, and he's absolutely, totally engaged in it. Yes, that's the. Yeah. Mm, it's beautiful. But I was going to just say, it, um, in his, in relation to his teenage years playing at Gordonston, mm. Gordonston didn't have a a pitch of its own. Uh, in those days, mm-hmm. and he played all his um, matches for Gordonston on a public park pitch nearby. And I think that's it's wonderful that the the future husband of the Queen was a park cricketer, like so many. He joins the fraternity and sorority of park cricketers worldwide. Is this why he was so into interested in park cricket and the charity? Yes, one of the big causes of his life was the the absorption of public spaces for private Mm. use. And he was a great one for championing all those sort of untended spaces which cricketers have adopted and used, Annie. Yeah, and that's hugely important. Massive, massive thing that um, is really commendable. Because Richard and I, and I dare say you too, Annie, because you're a cricketer, aren't you? Well, of sorts. <laughs> no, no, we're a lot of sorts critters too, so let's, let's not be embarrassed. About, let's not let be embarrassed of this. What, what sorts, I wouldn't like to say, but we are certainly of sorts critters. <laughs> I see that E.W. Swanson said that he played, I quote E.W. Swanson, strokes of a pedigree seldom seen in an English summer. Now, do you think that's... Um, um, do you think Swanson's going over the top there? Probably. I don't know about him as a batsman, but he had a very dynamic yeah, good bowling. Bo- he did a very. He does look very good as a bowler. He had a very dynamic action, good follow through, and so I say I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Graveney tried to avoid him, but uh, and, and many others. He um, memorably he did practice cricket very very hard. You know the lovely stories in his early in his marriage. He got his, his wife, Princess Elizabeth, and the royal servants, you know, to, um, to bowl and field for him. And he recruited his Navy chum, Mike Parker, to act as, as a wicketkeeper. So um, <laughs> um, I, I, didn't, I haven't seen any stories of what the Queen does on the cricket field, um, or did on the cricket field. Well, what she did on the cricket field, Richard, was, ha- was shake hands with me- whichever touring team was coming to this country, with, often with Prince Philip with his hands uh, behind him, a couple of yards behind. That's what what she did, and she she used to enjoy very much talking to uh, cricketers, including our friend Said Ahmed. 
Yes. Uh, we yes. still take up his invitation to go to Buckingham Palace, we believe. Yeah, sorry, you may, not, you may, not, may have missed this episode, Annie, but um, our friend Said Ahmed was a great Pakistan cricketer of the 50s and 60s, claimed to have had a personal meeting with the Queen on their 1967 tour and to have received a, um, a permanent invitation to drop in on her at uh, Buckingham Palace whenever he was in... Um, Whenever he was next in London. And since has Saeed, he done it now? No. Well, not yet. Not. Since, Saeed's now be, since Saeed's now become uh, extremely religious um, and has, um, you know, grown, grown a beard and um, wears sort of robes all the time, Queen might not recognise the, um, <laughs> the cricketer <laughs> she invited in the 1960s <laughs> if, he, if he turns up at the doorstep. Yeah. Prince Philip had very strong views on umpiring. Uh, he was given out LBW in a match in Kent in the 1950s, and decades later was saying, that is the sort of umpiring which should be outlawed. Many computers were <laughs> Bit W.G. Grace, then. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> that umpire gave out <laughs> Prince Philip, aren't you? I, yes. I think the crowd well, wanted to see him back. Absolutely. I, I was thinking about this. I'm thinking, gosh, it must be really weird playing with him because he really would worry about getting him out, wouldn't you? <laughs> perhaps it was the... Um, perhaps that umpire was... Um, well, perhaps he was a Republican and perhaps he was umpiring in ah. the spirit... Perhaps he was umpiring in the spirit of the Duke of Norfolk's butler who famously gave the Duke of Norfolk out LBW in a match with the words, His grace is not in. <laughs> <laughs> that was... <laughs> he... He was thinking of a way, was it? Is it that is a very good way of dealing with a uh, extremely tricky situation <laughs> with one's employer out. Even so, if I'd been the umpire, I would not have um, put the finger up at that uh, point in time. Uh, there is one serious matter, Richard. When you and I were writing our book on Pakistan cricket, we uh, looked into um, the Duke's... Well, we looked, we, it was about Pakistan, but it involved writing about the Duke's time as as president of the MCC in the 1970s, his first, was it his first or second spell? No, that would have been his second. Yeah, and, and there have there always been a bit of innuendo against the Duke because of his humour, you know, slitty eyes and so forth about Chinese, that he's a bit of a racist. And what came out from our researches, and I think it's very important to get this on the record, is when A.H. Kardar, the Pakistan, uh, by then he was the head of the Pakistan Cricket Board, was really waging a campaign against the uh, sort of the, the white dominance of international cricket you know Eng England Australia South Africa the duke was emphatically on the side of Kadar. he yes. said that the arrangement which Kadar was fighting against was a rather a colonial arrangement and he, he comes he emerges as a much more sympathetic figure from that ep episode you know, against the weight of the uh, English cricket establishment, you know, led by Gubby Allen, uh, than um, than many people understand. Well, I remember being told that by um, Cotter's deputy at that um, ICC meeting in 1974. Uh, we had a meeting with Zafar Altaf, and yes, he really said, yeah. and he really said, the Duke of uh, was then president of the MCC and therefore ex officio president of the ICC as well. The MCC was running world cricket, and the Duke then was really 
Cordon's only ally in the attempt to remove what was then called the white veto uh, on international cricket, because in England and Australia's founder members of the then Imperial Cricket Conference, and all these years on, you know, in the 1970s, still had this this veto power over any proposal in world cricket. And um, Cardo thought that was wrong, obviously, as Pakistan's representative, but so did the Duke. No, it's interesting. Kada, in his biography, autobiography, strongly hints he wasn't supported by India in this campaign <laughs> to, to to tackle white dominance, um, mm. but he was supported by the by Prince Philip, and I, I think actually we need to put that on his on his record. It needs to be known that it's only. You, you, it's, it, I, I thank you for reminding of how we discovered. I, I remember we were in the basement of. Uh, Altaf's house, weren't we? We were, and um, <laughs> it was a, it, we had, it was a very long session. I mean, Zafar Altaf uh, himself you know, a first-class was, cricketer, was a first-class cricketer he? in Pakistan. Very nearly played Test cricket, but he, above all, he was, um, you know, he was Qatar's deputy. He knew everything that happened in Pakistan cricket in the first part of the nineteen seventies. We, in many ways, if we look at, as we've said, the Duke was um, president of the MCC twice. And he certainly wasn't, you know, just an honorific figurehead, as so many of them were. He was really an act, an active president, and very much, I think, in both of his terms of office, he was ahead of his time in in, in important ways. He was, uh, as we've said, ahead of his time in the seventies on this white veto point. But um, in the in his first shift in nineteen forty nine, um, he really. I think was the first president of the MCC to um, make it go in for outreach. He linked it to his roles with the his role with um, the National Playing Fields Association, mm. and he initiated the the outreach movement at the MCC to provide opportunities for young inner city cricketers. And you, you can, when you go to Lords, you see a lot of uh, now, and you see a lot of photographs of um, young cricketers being coached there in the 40s uh, and 50s, that's really, you know, owes a lot to his work. Yeah, and these things are, are very, very much um, not common knowledge. I, ha- I have to say, I didn't know much about some of those things. No, I think he was, and of course, it's not just cricket. You know, the Duke of Edinburgh Awards given so many uh, young people a real sort of chance to get get out there into, you know, robust situations, expand their opportunities. You know, we all owe him an enormous uh, debt, and I, for one, don't agree with the the uh, critics who are saying there's too much about the Duke on, on his death. I think he's you can't have too much about the Duke of Edinburgh at this. You know, it's it's, it's an amazing life. You know, it's, I don't know if he played cricket on the uh, when he was on that on the ship on board ship in the throughout the war years where he served heroically against fascism. Uh, he was at the liberation of. He was at the the peace treaty eventually, wasn't he? In Japan, I mean, what a what a history! He knew every president, Truman onwards. Mm. Uh, Incredible span. Well, anything else to say about him, by the way, before we move on? We take we go well, return. To Annie, you, Annie, you've got a small personal memory of him, <laughs> so let's. Uh, it's let's, really let's, very uninspiring, but, um, but no, let's let's hear it. <laughs> I, I, only I vaguely remember the 
Queen coming to Exeter when I was uh, probably about eight and uh, standing there on the side with my little flag and he came over and spoke to a few of us and told us a joke. I, 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 sadly, I can't remember the joke. <laughs> but that, that's it, that I met him and I, I thought, oh, he's funny. You've now given me my one memory. I met him not personally, really, but he he was Chancellor of Cambridge University when I was at university in the seventies, and he he came to judiciously came to dinner at every college, and he got really fed up. I remember this because every college served swan. (laughs) <laughs> only the, the swans belong to the royal family and it was a one chance and he had, for a whole year he had to eat swan <laughs> I think we might appeal to listeners just may have memories of the Duke of Edinburgh's joke in, in Exeter we were listening around about the Late 70s or early, yeah. early 80s? Late 70s, early 80s, Late yeah. 70s, early 80s. If anyone can remember a joke by the Duke of Edinburgh and Exeter, we'd, we'd love to hear it. And in fact, fair to say, we'd, um, we'd love to hear any memories of uh, the Duke, particularly obviously connected with cricket, um, and do by all means send them in to our special uh, email, which is, we'll try and get right this time, which is cricket at outlook.com. Lord, do we have a we have an email address? Do we? Richard? We, we do. It's, uh, <laughs> you don't look at it very often, but I do. <laughs> but I do, and I, I hope I've got it right this time. I usually get it wrong. I'll try it again. Oborn Heller Cricket, all one word at outlook.com. Now, I'm so excited. We're now going to um, only a gentle backwards look, move away from the uh, Prince Philip and um, Annie. I'm so excited to learn that you've played cricket at Mount Juliet. <laughs> Yes, Wes, yes, that was our first cricket tour um, in 94. Or was it 92? It was 92, actually. 92. 92. Yeah. Yeah, now you, because um, I play cricket at Mount Juliet every year, COVID permitting, in wow. that lovely ground by the river, on that glorious estate with th- hundreds of millions of pounds worth of thoroughbreds. Grazing How many teams do you play when you go there? We play uh, Mount Juliet. Which is uh, the team on the estate, mm-hmm. the old estate? Uh, we play uh, the Leprechauns, who we, Charles Lysett we talked to. Uh, he brings down his wandering team. Uh, we play uh, Lismore, is a new one on us, which is a team in, uh, well, in Lismore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> didn't try and sneak in another. <laughs> <laughs> but, the interesting thing about that game is it's well. There's many interesting things, but one of them is that it play is played on land owned by the Duke of Devonshire. And I just feel get that, everywhere, you know, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. They... <laughs> Can I just ask Annie whom she, whom was she playing for at Mount Juliet? It might be interesting to know. Whom... Well, it, it was it's a, a team that was set up by my uh, brother called Mystics and Magicians, and it was it's all his. Um, his friends and uh, family and get together every year when we go on tour and we're still doing it now uh god knows how long after and uh we're now in cornwall we've been going to cornwall for 10 years we went to scotland for about 10 years it's wonderful what do you do what 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 are your bat or bowl me personally i uh uh bowl a very boring uh medium pace that's quite straight 
Um, but I haven't. Very played... welcome to come with us to Mount <laughs> Juliet this summer. Certainly, oh, and, and <laughs> boring medium pace that goes straight would be an asset <laughs> on any of the teams we play for. <laughs> well, I haven't played for some time. I have to say, so I might be a bit rusty. Might not be so straight anymore. It will come back, I'm sure, Annie. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure. Yes, it's like riding a bike, isn't it? Considering how disgracefully early it's being played, we've had a pretty good two days so far in the county championship, mm. haven't we? Yeah, I thought there was going to be um, just shed loads of wickets in the first uh, few hours, but it didn't really happen that way, did it? I must say, Vince is 200. Is he going to get... Tell us about that. I mean, James Vince, he's so kind of chilled about life suddenly, isn't he? All that anxiety is gone. Wow. I know, I know. It's he's like um he's suddenly decided, well, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna play for England, I'm gonna I'm just gonna concentrate on this and uh yeah. He gave uh, a very moving interview before the season started, didn't he? He said, All right, I'm just gonna take England out of my mind. Mm. And obviously there is an intensity. He said, you know, when you're playing for England, you're you're always worrying about your place. Yeah, you don't have that worry when you play for Hampshire. You know, you're, you're, you know, and that means I can just enjoy myself. And boy, he did, didn't he? he went yeah. like the, the clappers as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, Hampshire looked pretty. I mean, I'm not just talking. They they looked pretty um, impressive before the uh, before the last two days. I thought, oh, on paper they looked pretty good, and I didn't think for a minute that. Uh, Vince would be getting 231 and uh, what did they end up on 612 for five mm. and then yes. later <laughs> so, yeah. I mean they yeah. are playing Leicestershire and I feel for Leicestershire because it it must be a bit of a tricky one that one there's another double century in the as well in the you know the beginning of April Tom Wesley of Essex wasn't there mm. uh, they're another team I, you know as a Somerset fan I'm uh, Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yes, a bit, okay. of a, a bit of a wound. I'm sorry about. I'm sorry about that. And, and Somerset had a rather had a pretty rough passage so far against Middlesex. Yeah, yeah. I mean Middlesex look really, really strong. I mean, again, I, I looked at them on paper and thought, oh, actually, we're really struggling, especially at Lords. And uh, we have, you know, three newbies at the uh, opening up. With, Tom Lamanby, who is really, really class player. He's wonderful, but I well, personally, I don't think he was out. He wasn't. He didn't actually hit the ball, but um, him and uh, Banton and Abel all all didn't really come off to start. So uh, we struggled. Was a, there was a very important. Tenth wicket stand wasn't there with with Jack Leach. Leachy, where have we seen that before? <laughs> <laughs> I know he's he's incredible. In fact, Somerset uh, put aside his England appearances. Leach, the Somerset are just incredible um, at their last wicket stands. We've we've had seasons of us sort of saving games on, on our last wicket stand. So um, it's kind of just become the thing now but of course we had a, a newbie i don't know how you pronounce it um delonga um he got a 50 as a as a, the last pairing with uh, leech so yeah we're pleased leech to have... has become a sort of oh. national folk hero hasn't he <laughs> he really has and he deserves it he's actually a, he's actually a good batsman I, I think he opened the batting in his uh, local somerset side before playing for somerset so he's he's not bad and uh He's a he's a great little bowler. He looks Fielder. polishing his glasses. I know. <laughs> and the sheer, but also uh, what I find utterly admirable is the 
is to in test matches to wheel away on against Coley and and hold his own oh, and yeah. that lot. I mean, he's got real distinction, hasn't he? Courage, really. Then mm. he's he does have health problems. So um, that, that all the COVID thing was really, really. Uh, he I had think you should a write bad... a biography of him. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I think he, there is or, something about or ghost him, is autobiography is... or ghost is autobiography. Or ghost is yeah. yeah. I'll have a chat words. with him in his own words. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. No, you're he's not the first Somerset fan. John Cleese came on the program a few yes. months ago, and he's a Somerset fan. Geoffrey Archer came on the program, and he's yes. a Somerset fan. They were both there on that terrible uh, Essex. Victory at uh, Somerset in 2019, where we. Oh, uh, were they? Yes, they were both there in the drizzle as oh. we uh, lost oh. again. I Became know, a bridesmaid again. The, 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 the listener can't see Annie, but the look of sheer abject misery <laughs> on her face <laughs> was. Clearly, it's a you know, and and greatly so. It's a pain, very painful wound. To move on from Somerset, I love this yeah. Kemp batsman, age forty-five. I mean, well, it's, he's all right, it's such isn't he? A sort of reversion <laughs> to the past. Well, tell us about him. Well, I interviewed him for my magazine in my last edition. Um, so uh, I'll just plug my magazine quickly. Um, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. He he has little. Um, happy faces on all his kit and he's got a little happy face tattooed on his hand and he just really really loves the game um loves playing and he's just going from strength to strength isn't he he's amazing. His name? darren stevens steve-o steve-o because it, it, this is nowadays people just give up at 34 don't they <laughs> yeah. uh, and they're deemed to be too sort of unfit thereafter mm. uh, but this it's just, he's a play at your peak form of your whole life at the age of 45. It's a stuff of dreams. Yeah, well, I did ask him about his longevity and he says he thinks it's because he didn't bowl to start with so that he, he didn't get too unfit. And then he took up bowling, uh, well, you know, he was brought in as a bowler later on and um, he thinks that that kept him interested as well and kept him really into the game so he didn't sort of ruin himself early on bowling uh, but but has now had the advantage of uh, the uh, interest that bowling because now he's a really significant all-rounder and what he thought mm. falls you know he's rem- reminiscent of the kind of player who was around in our childhood mm. but hasn't existed since i.e. to bill alley or Norman Gifford, who go on into... Brian Close is another classic example. Oh, God, yes. Go on into their late 40s, scoring centuries and taking bucket loads of wickets. Basil Oliveira, my hero. Mm. Uh, and they got, they vanish from the English scene. So it's lovely to have this character. Oh, no, it's, it's fantastic. He's, he's not the only one, though. Um, you know, there are others. Who are the other ones? <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think that. Well, of course, it, there's Cook. Um, I know he's a different... Different. Um, you mean the Kent, the, Sir, Sir Alistair? Sorry, Sir Alistair Cook. Yeah. Well, I hope you thought with proper deference. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I love the way he's carrying on in the uh, carrying on after. You see, something really awful has happened to cricketers. The same way it happened to English uh, prime ministers in the old <laughs> days. You saw Alec Douglas, Hume, or Harold Wilson. They hang around in the or Winston Churchill. They remained in the Commons for ages after stepping down as Prime Minister, which <laughs> elevated the Commons and was properly respectful. But now the 
new generation, starting with the wretched Blair, they sort of resign the moment they leave the House of Commons. He, you know, the moment they cease to be Prime Minister and go off and earn oodles of money advising really disgusting countries or revolting companies like Greenswill or whatever it's called, the thing which Cameron's got. I don't think you should move this round to politics. <laughs> no, no, but I'm just bringing the thing round, you see. So Cameron and Blair both quit politics the moment they cease to be Prime Minister. And Alistair Cook, what I love about Cook... Mm is he's carrying on in the game he loves, after, even though he's given up the most glorious job any Englishman could ever want. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, I talked to him and he said, uh, you know, that he doesn't know when he's going to stop. He's just carrying on because he still really loves playing for Essex, which is which is brilliant. And, and then again, there's also Triscothic. I know he's just retired. Yes! But he is my hero. He is my hero still. Um, so many, too. so many, many factors. I know I'm t- turning it back to Somerset already. Triscothic's a bit special. Triscothic's a bit special. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. It, we uh, love Triscothic. Yeah. And for so many reasons, his bit on mental health has been massive, massively mm. um, impactful. So, uh, you know, it's uh, he's a brilliant player and uh, he wanted to play for his county. Um, and that that's just wonderful. I think I, I love all these stalwarts. People say they take away from the youngsters coming through. But I, I really don't believe that, especially especially now that we haven't got the coal packs. Uh, I think we need that bit of extra um, experience that yes. someone like yes. Stevens brings on from from the field, from the dressing room. You know, you absolutely need it, and uh, I think it's really important that we have that. And and while he's going on getting fifers and hundreds, who would want to drop him? They they tried to, mm. and then he came back. <laughs> yes, I know they can't go. They can't keep him away. No. What what's Marcus Treskothic doing now, Annie? Well, he was supposed to be uh, our batting coach, Somerset's batting coach, um, but now he is uh, England's batting coach. Of course, that's right. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Do you know one? Just going back to the players who went on playing for such a long time in the past. Many of those players, like I mean, like like Brian Close, like mm. um, later Basil Oliveira, and all of those players that went on for such a long time. We forget that their workload in county cricket was much greater than than players today. Mm. I mean, I saw something in oh, yeah. um, in, in your your excellent magazine. Thank you. Uh, your excellent magazine, <laughs> County Cricket Matters, uh, uh, which um, I saw a little thing on Jack Leach mentioning, you know, what a strain it was for him to have bowled five hundred overs in an English season. But I honestly, can remember times when. Um, in the old county programme, when fast bowlers like Fred Truman were expected to bowl a thousand overs or more a season. Yeah, I mean that's all to do with contracts now, isn't it? But mm. um, it it's very much it, pe- fast bowlers. Though I, I, I've heard from so many fast bowlers that say they just want to bowl, they just want to keep bowling, keep bowling, keep bowling, and uh, that's part of um, what what keeps them going is is trying to keep playing. So I think. Contracts are, are, are brilliant for England, um, but uh, I don't know how good it is for the all this resting players all the time. <laughs> no, the um, bowling. I mean, you're a bowler yourself. Oh I'm yes, still, I'm still trying to be a bowler. It's a very unnatural thing to do, particularly, oh, totally. in, particularly in my case. And you have to go on doing it all the mm. time, don't you? Mm. I, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, uh, Annie, I wonder if you could be angelic and just explain how the 
County Championship works uh, this year because it seems terrifyingly complex. Yeah, I mean, it, it is complex and it isn't. Um, so, no, of course, normally we have the two divisions um, and promotion and relegation. But this season, after the Bobolus Trophy, which was regionalised last season and, and, and very curtailed, we now have a, a season starting at the beginning and we have um, three different groups where we've got uh, six in each group. Um, I won't go through each group because uh, that'll take too long. But um, basically, the top two in each of the three groups go through to um, Division 1 after 10 games. That's the early part of the season. So they have 10 games early part and then they go through to the divisions. So the top two in each go uh, through to Division 1. The the three and four go through to Division 2 and the five and six go to through to Division 3. There's not much in it for um, people who go through to the, to the teams that go through to the uh, second and third division afterwards. It's it's then a case of um, the uh, top, the one with the most points in Division 1 will become champions. And then one and two of Division 1 will um, play a five-day final at Lord's in September, beginning of October. Hmm. Yeah, it's a strange time to play what's supposed to be the, you know, the climactic match of the season, you know, the best oh. match of the season, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But well, the weather these days can often be quite nice at the end of September because of yeah. climate change. It can. It wasn't in 2019 when uh, Somerset and Essex were playing their final game, but hmm. there you are. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's true. Another yeah. says the, the, the wound reopened. The wound... <laughs> The gaping wound. We it does, re- absolutely. Reopens. Yeah. We were lost terrain. Someone yeah. said lost terrain, definitely. Indeed. But what's going to... I can't believe that anybody's... As you say, I can't believe anybody's going to be sort of interested in those Division 2 and Division 3 games, are they? Again, it seems almost bemusingly uh, complex. What are the test matches which we are playing, which we can look forward to this summer? Yeah, we've got two tests against New Zealand, five tests against India, so seven test matches. Um, We've got T20s and ODIs against Sri Lanka and Pakistan, I think. Um, Really, really squeezed in, big time. So we've got four touring. Yeah, we've also got the World Test Championship final with um, India and New Zealand. Uh, That that will be playing at Hampshire. Right, so we've... We've got four different touring teams this summer. Yeah, it's quite see, I, do, do, quite major, I, isn't it? <laughs> am I wrong to feel nostalgic to the days, you know, when the uh, Australians turned up and played their first game in in, in, in Worcestershire at the end of... Well, the end very of first April. one against the Duke of Norfolk. And Duke yes. of Norfolk, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I don't think you're wrong to feel nostalgic. I think it, it, we're so um, domestically squashed in our cricket... To also have um, the uh, international squashed as much, it's it's a it's a big lot of cricket. Not that I'm complaining personally as a, a fan, but uh, I think there's an awful lot. It does it feel is, like yeah. a bit of a buggers muddle, doesn't it? <laughs> it well, does. <laughs> yes. Would, yeah. <laughs> but Nicely put. <laughs> I mean, it means that also. I mean, we haven't mentioned that there are all sorts of other domestic competitions oh, yeah. squeezed into the season as well. Never mind the infamous hundred. We've still got the. The Royal London 50-over 
Cup, haven't we? Which was the um, which. What the hell's it's, that, Richard? Well, I remember you and I remember it as the Gillette. It's the descendant, isn't oh, it? Oh yes, it's the yes, Gillette yes. Cup, and um, and we've got we've still got the T Twenty Blast, you know, yep. fitting in as well. And that's the, in I thought June. that was being replaced by something else. No, no, no that's no. in June. Uh, yeah. So uh, what the, the something else has replaced the prime spot of the blast, which now goes to June. But uh, yeah. And the something else is something is the hundred. The something else is the hundred. Yeah. <laughs> on which, which you on which you two take a very well, you two take a very different view. <laughs> I may you know I may have to be the referee here. Yes. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. I, my my biggest problem about the hundred is the fact that it's taking prime spot and and squeezing uh, the championship and the blast out of the centre of the season. Yes, I mean the the case for it, isn't it? Is it, it brings in amazing new audiences into the game it's much more family friendly in theory um, yes yeah and <laughs> i think it's easy for a, a very uh, eloquent case was made to me the other day by somebody quite close to it that, that actually this is you know urban centers are the future and that it's much easier for a, you know four hours in the in the early evening for a family to go along and have a lovely time and i can sort of see that um, urban centres uh, work in Australia, definitely. Whether they'll work in England is a, is a you know is something that we'll we'll soon discover, I guess. T um, Twenty Blast, I feel, is very family orientated, but uh, of course we have the um, lager louts. Um, I think that will stay. Myself. Do you know one going back to the Duke of Edinburgh? One striking thing I saw in the coverage is that he almost anticipated the hundred as far back as 1949 when he was president of the MCC. And he recommended that the um, the cricket should be divided. The county championship should be played over the weekend, he wanted. And he recommended an urban sort of professional league um, during midweek. Mm-hmm. The, the things have changed uh, changed a lot in the fact, though, that the Blast is, is a massive, massive money spinner for the counties. And, in fact, it, they, they struggle if they don't have that money spinner so um i think that is going to be a real problem if if it does um affect where it where it's now placed which is out of the school holidays if that is affected i think that's going to be massive for the counties that's a very profound point Uh, i have to say i'm not disposed to believe that the hundred is going to bring in a brand new family audience that hasn't been attracted by the cricket already on offer and um I agree with Wisdom last year that the the marketing of the the hundred was extraordinarily patronising to to families, um, you know, to well, women and, and to women, to women, and, to women, <laughs> partic- women in particular. Women are, you know, the implicit assumption was that women are too dumb to understand you know, proper cricket and even T Twenty. We better invent something even simpler for them. Hmm. Yeah, I think it was badly done. I think, I think it's hearts in the right place, but it was badly done. Either, I think what what they really, really need to do is um, attract the the Asian community much, much more. Mm. Um, how they do that with the hundred, I'm not sure because I, I I very much doubt any Indian players will be able to play. Um, and having had having had Babar Azam at um, Somerset for the blast 
I know just how massive an impact that makes for um, viewing figures. Another very, another very interesting point. Annie, um, you were recently involved in a, what seemed to me a rather bizarre Twitter poll against um, Lawrence Booth, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the editor of Wisdom. What was all that all about and, um, and who won? <laughs> OK, well, it, what it was, was uh, there's a, on Twitter, there's a, a group called Being Outside Cricket and they do a lot of, they do, uh, for example, the 50 people in cricket. Um, you know, the cricketer does the, the 50 people in cricket, basically. They Indeed. do an alternative version of that. Ah. This is now, uh, I, don't, I don't know if they've done them before, but it's a Twitter poll and they list 64 of um, media people in cricket and pit them against each other. So I was, uh, in the first round, I was put against um, Lawrence Booth, yeah. and um, I won by two votes. Uh, so I, as I said to Lawrence, I think that now makes me the editor of Wisdom. Um, so he's going to be the editor of County Cricket Matters, and I'm the editor of Wisdom. So congratulations. thank you very much. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> but um, uh, yes, I've got another round coming up, but I'm against Izzy Westbury, and I think I probably won't part win that one well for the moment you're editor of wisdom uh-huh. um so uh, perhaps we could begin with who are you going to nominate as the wisdom five cricketers of the year and then i might um we've had a few nominations from listeners which i might um follow up with hmm. okay um really because i'm county cricket i have included two very strong county cricket candidates but i'm also open to international players as well so my first one would be Darren Stevens I think he really needs um, he needs his recognition he's been such a he he had such a great season last season as well um, and the season before so he's my number one number two is Barbara Azam Uh, can't believe he's not on it yet but he, he didn't have his best ever season because he didn't play a whole lot, but he still managed to average about 60 in the 60s. So I'm going to go for Barbara Zam. Then uh, Zach Crawley, I think for Kent and for England, he's a, he's a rather uh, awesome player and uh, his 267 against Pakistan was uh, rather impressive. Uh, my fourth is Tom Lamanby. Uh, he's a youngster, I know, but he got three centuries in um, Bob Willis Trophy last season and he will be playing for England. If not, uh, I'll eat my hat. And the last one is um, Sophie Eccleston. So she was number one ranked bowler last year. Um uh, she was 2018 uh, ICC Emerging Player of the Year, and she's just fantastic. She's uh, got a lot of wickets, and I think she looks rather special. There you are. That's my five. That's a very that's um, a very interesting five, and we'll see what comes out next week with um, <laughs> with, with Lawrence's um, wisdom nominations. Um, but uh, we, just to compare with the. One just only one overlap with um, the list that came in from our listeners, and I'll just um, quickly. But it's run Zach Crawley, the... isn't it? Zach Crawley was the yeah. only uh, was the only overlap. Otherwise, we had we had nominations for quite a lot of support for Jason Holder, uh-huh. uh, Ollie Pope, uh, Tammy Beaumont, mm-hmm. 
Azure Ali, interestingly. Yeah. Um, and yet another, another Somerset player. Yeah. Isn't he another, another Somerset nominee? Um, and then some, which, uh, Mohammed Rizwan from that Pakistan tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ravi Chanda Ashwin. Carl Jamison of New Zealand. Yeah, I did wonder. It was between him and uh, Barbara Azam because uh, New Zealand really did have a good year as well. Mm. So. Yeah, Carl Jamison. Um, this one may be a bit late to have figured in Wisdom's reckoning. Uh, Carl Myers um, uh-huh. scored his double century on test debut. Uh, Ajinka Rahani. Yeah, uh, Ajinka Rahani. Uh, I said yeah. meant Mohammed Rizwan before, didn't I? Yeah. They they came up in listeners um, in listeners polls quite an eclectic selection so we'll see what as I say we'll see what turns up on wisdom's uh, offi- so official yes, I, list yeah. I'm sure mine won't but uh, just uh, you know I wanted to register those those ones as being rather special players I agree very much with you I don't think they will give it to Darren Stevens no but, no I don't think they will either but I would too. We discussed him a little bit earlier and he was absolutely... I think you, the case you made is utterly compelling because mm. it's a recognition of the game of cricket as it's always been played, I yep. think. Yeah. I think that's right. But they do sometimes, certainly in the past, they do sometimes nominate sort of county stalwarts um, and um, he'd certainly be the right one to pick if, in that category this year. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Annie, a thing we always look at uh, in anticipation of wisdom is, um, uh, is the selection of book of the year. And I just wonder if there are any cricket books this year that particularly caught your eye. Well, yes. I, I read, of course, Kings in Waiting by Thomas Blow, which is all about Somerset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, a, what a surprise! Does it do its? Is it a good job? Did it do a good job? I, th- I think he, he he does. He he um he chronicles a decade really really well because it's you know it can be a bit if you're just going over games it can be a little bit tedious but I think he does it really well with the intersperses with um a lot of um, interviews and people's little um, biographies and things so yeah it, it's it's uh, certainly if you're a Somerset fan, but but even if you're a county fan, I think yeah, definitely worth a, a read. Um, uh, it's a bit heartbreaking for Somerset. Re- uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Um, well, so I read um, the Unforgiven mm, um, by Ashley Gray, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Learned so much, and I think it, it was just exactly coming out at the right time. With the the Unforgiven is about the West Indian players who uh, went to South Africa during apartheid. Is that right? Yeah. On the so sort of rebel tours and their fate afterwards. In some cases, the fate of some of those players is, is really quite dreadful. tragic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on the on the front it says mercenaries or missionaries, for example. So um, I think some of them really feel like they, they did a good thing going. Uh, I know um, that Monty Lynch, for example, did. So I think... Uh, it, it's it's a really really fascinating book actually. All the tales are are interesting. I also read uh, Colin Babb's Nineteen Seventy Three and Me, which is about the England West Indies Test series, and and that was really fascinating. Again, it was um, it was about a bit about his childhood and and sort of growing up in a, a West Indian community in um, England and. And how just how important the cricket was then? It was really, really, really 
That was the West Indies tour of 73, was it? When, yes, uh, when they came over, yeah, yeah. Can I was captain and Sobers made his last century at Lord's. Famous one, one. Absolutely wonderful century with a raging hangover. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he had to go off, after completing the century, he had to go off and um, he had to go off to the pavilion and to be sick. <laughs> well, how shocking. Yeah, and they pulled, him, they pulled him round with what was called Captain's Mixture. Um, <laughs> which was a, I wonder what glass, that was. <laughs> it, was, it, was it was a glass of port and brandy. <laughs> and it went into the it went in at the fall of the next wicket, um, uh, having retired hurt or sick, and um, and scored an, another undefeated fifty. <laughs> Not bad, eh? Not bad. And he also caught he also caught six, you know, blinding catches, you know, in that ultra yeah, short leg position of his. Well, Talking about the England team, I, it was they they were so dominant that that was the end. I think I'm speaking from memory of Ray Illingworth's t- time as captain. And uh, I think he was sacked after that series. And I always felt very sorry about that because I think that Illingworth was the best England captain since World War II, uh, by some distance, actually. And uh, I always felt he was poorly treated by the authorities. Mm. They didn't. He won the Ashes series. The Ashes, they uh, always. Well, they were always looking, weren't they, for an excuse to, um, uh, you know, to sack him and. um, this replaced him by Mike Deness, yes. Well, it's a, we, we are very reactionary as a, um, a nation anyway. Um, so <laughs> um, the other three books, quickly. Uh, uh, Duncan Hamilton, One Long and Beautiful Summer, I read, um, which I, I loved. It's an elegy of cricket, um, certainly of Red Bull cricket. So that was lovely. Um, very sad book, The Breath of Sadness by Ian Ridley who mm. also wrote in my um, magazine. What's that about? That's, he did. It's a, it's a very moving article, too. It's, yeah. it's about um, the, the death of his wife, Vicky Orvis, and, um, and how he recovered by watching a season of um, county cricket, basically. Mm. And it's, mm. it's, a, it's a lovely book, um, really, but hard. It's hard reading because it, it just really touches uh, your emotions. And uh, the last book I read, uh, finished last week, was Cricket, the Game of Life by Shield Berry, which was uh, had some really, really informative and interesting parts in as well. So, um, yeah, a feast of books I've read recently, um, and that's not all of them. Uh, yet another Somerset um, sort of devotee, isn't he, Shilberry? I've, I've played cricket with him. Down oh, there. have you? Quite, mm. uh, where is it? What's his village called? The village somewhere near Bath, isn't Hint, it? Hint, Hinton, right. Charter, Hinton Charterhouse. Yeah. Yep. Mm. That's right. Played, yeah. played a regular game with, against his team with, um, uh, with Vic, him and Vic Marks. <laughs> yes. Lovely Vic Marks. Lovely chap. Very mm. entertaining game. Mm. Um, anyway, that's... Um, by the by, um, so that yeah, that's a that's just a yeah section yeah. of my reading. Indeed, indeed. Um, Actually, I get the impression that the quality of cricket literature has greatly improved in the last few years. I think there's been some really great books come out. Yeah, but, I, I mean, reviewed I, the. I that it's a lovely job. I had the review, job of reviewing the books uh, for Wisdom one year, about ten years mm. ago, maybe a bit more. And really, one was it. It was very hard to find a decent book. Oh gosh, really? Yeah. Mm. Um, the best book was, and it's not a bad book, but it's not a great book. It was Wazim Khan's autobiography. Mm. And autobiographies do tend to be, 
my least favourite, I have to say. Yes, uh, but there was no book of real literary distinction at all. Mm. And nowadays, I think we've got a generation of new writers, of whom obviously Duncan Hamilton is mm. the most significant, I think, mm. uh, who really are uh, turning cricket literature, which has always been... Cricket, I think, Richard, do you agree with me? That with certain gleaming exceptions, like C.L.R. James, cricket <laughs> literature has been a little bit second class. And I think there's a generation now who are more than that. Mm. Well, I think it's not just the writers. I mean, there are many more... Notice lately, there are many more specialist publishers of cricket books, mm. or people, or, or publishers willing to pitch to publish um, cricket books. Um, our friend Stephen Chalk did an enormous amount of work in yeah, this Stephen's area with, with his own yeah. um, house. Um, with well, Fe- he's a great with, writer. With Fe- and he is indeed. Mm. We're going to welcome him back soon. But um, you know, Fairfield Publishing did a great deal of. Um, published some very great books um, and um, and many more now. Pitch Publishing is a very fine, yeah, um, very it, fine house. It's good because it gets yeah it gets a lot of books out there. Pitch Publishing they do an awful lot, don't they? Of sports books, so incredible. Yeah, but the and, but yeah, as you say, as the, uh, the you know the nature of the cricket books being published is really, is certainly much more ambitious than mm. um, you know it was in the past. Although I've, uh, I've said this before, in terms of cricket autobiographies, if you've never read it, try and get hold of um, Frank Tyson's. Uh, it's a wonderful book called A Typhoon Called Tyson. <laughs> and um, it's not at all... I mean, it's it's got a great chapter about the sensations of fast bowling, bowling really fast. Okay. And, and I re- really recommend it. And also, I, like, I liked Richard. I, I think I think you have told this story before, but tell it again. How he used to swear on the cricket field. <laughs> oh, Frank! Yeah, Frank Tyson was an English teacher, and um, he when he when he'd beaten a batsman all ends up, which is quite frequently for for pace. Um, he had a very unusual method of sledging, which is to stand in the middle of the pitch and recite a certain passage of Wordsworth over and over again. <laughs> I think there are many players today who, um, you know, <laughs> recite poetry at the crease. The yeah. one I did come across, uh, uh, ex-player who um, was very fond of poetry, was um, the Australian leg spinner and Shane Warne's mentor and later big cricket coach was Terry Jenner. Yeah. Terry Jenner used to, you know, used to coach. Uh, I saw Terry Jenner coaching cricket quite often, and he'd just, you know. Murmur, murmur poetry continuously and intersperse little bits of advice in it, into it, you know, uh, as it went along. Well, why not? Yeah, and it certainly kept, I'm sure it kept concentration going. Mm. If, you know, if, um, you know, shall I compare thee to a summer's day, pitch it up a bit more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know, think you'll win any head. prizes with your poetry there, Richard. <laughs> well, sorry, I wouldn't, yeah. Um, I, I, um, it's very uh, interesting art, cricket, uh, autobiography. Uh, it's best normally to get somebody else to write it for you. I mean, Richard and I understood so much more about Javed Miandad after reading uh, Saad Shafkat's ghosted autobiography. Saad Shafkat is a very distinguished Karachi novelist and neurosurgeon. And Javed Miandad was incredibly fortunate to have this sort of tiring intellect uh, writing his autobiography for him. And it's a brilliant book. Absolutely, I haven't read that. No, you, it's a it's a justification for Meandad. It is. Uh, I mean, it really is, and he takes on all of the 
you know, you feel quite humble having read it because all of the aspersions against Meandad over the years get mm. dealt with very thoroughly. His captaincy record is fully vindicated, and it's just the talent of it. And the Cut, other book, Cutting Edge, it's called, and it's Cutting a, Edge, a good, by, cutting edge. a good title. Okay. Uh, yes. And the other one is Sherbakta's uh, autobiography. <laughs> mm. Absolutely monumental piece. It's, it's got it's, it's got it's got a sort of touch of Tom Wolfe about it, <laughs> in the kind of sheer vigour and of the writing. And again, it's not written by Sherbakta. It's written by a social anthropologist, a lady. It's an Indian lady. Um, is a social anthropologist, but she. I cannot recommend that book. Richard and I have devoted uh, quite a lot of time to. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's basically all of Shoabakdar's misdemeanours from age five onwards. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. That makes interesting reading. It, I'm it, sure. is, it mm. is interesting mm. reading, and you know, and also like a bit like Javed Mandat, he was, you know, he had some un, a lot of unfair treatment, and he pays back a lot of um, grudges. Yeah. <laughs> and some of it is incredibly uh, moving. He, he goes over, he's, he's, in, he's born and brought up, but he's a son of a night watchman in Pindi. And the, he hears talk of a test, tri- of a test trial or a f- trial for first-class cricket mm. in Lahore. He makes his way to Lahore. He doesn't have any money. He has to which, is, which is a long distance. Uh, I think he, he bandits, he gets onto a, the top of a bus so he doesn't have to pay arrives and he doesn't have anywhere to sleep but he finds a rickshaw driver who um, allows him to sleep in his rickshaw overnight and as he leaves the rickshaw he says one day I will play test cricket it's a ludicrous idea that I one day I will play test cricket for Pakistan and when I do that I'm going to come back because the rickshaw driver wouldn't take any money from it and I'll come back and reward you and repay you right and when he got picked for Pakistan uh, about a year or two later he went and hunted down the rickshaw driver and found him and offered him money, but of course, still the rickshaw driver would not take it. And that's a sort of very moving mm. prof- on both sides. Uh, yep. And and the far- relationship with his father, he never met because his father was asleep all the day, <laughs> and uh, obviously being a night watchman at night, I, I, it's a me- it's a it's a massive story actually. Sherbak died. You can make a film out of it. You really could. And well, um, well, so he didn't insist on playing himself, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And the other one I've been reading recently is beside my bed is Don Moses, The Alderman's Tale. And boy, he does not like Brian Johnson Old Test Match Special. It's oh, really? Sort of, it's very value. It's, it's good value. It's good value. Unlike I, I, the uh, uh, Duke of Edinburgh, who did like Brian Johnson, didn't he? Yes. Oh, did he? Mm. Oh, yes. They did a mm. lovely interview, which I've just mm. listened to, and the um, you know it's being replayed at the moment. They they had a very very friendly and amiable, but actually quite informative interview. Yep. Mm. Yep. Annie, there's so much more we could talk about in um, in wisdom and about county cricket. Mm. It's been wonderful having you with us. Um, yeah, it's perhaps been great. Perhaps we'll have you back Dana, uh, later <laughs> in the, later in the, in the season, and perhaps to do the second half of the county championship, which you've described to us. But um, for now, um, it has to be goodbye for me, Richard Heller, in a still chilly southeast London. Perhaps I can come back and uh, show you that my five wisdom players were chosen. <laughs> um, OK, well, thank you very much for having me. It's, it's been um, really, really interesting. Oh, thank you very much, Annie. And it's goodbye from me too, from a freezing cold Wiltshire. <laughs>